0: Hi everyone, Alistair again. This is part two of our special live Q&A session slash get-together recorded at Worldcon earlier this year. If you missed part one, let me recap. Mothership Zeta is going to be awesome and we're bringing a fourth show, Cast of Wonders, into the EA family next year. That didn't take long, did it? Part 2 continues the Q&A session with a bit more background into what's been happening behind the scenes at EA in the last 18 months, and includes the flash piece, Final Corrections, Pittsburgh Times-Dispatch, by M. Bernardo, read live by Wilson Fowley. You may have heard this on Pseudopod recently, it's a happy accident that it and the incredible Wilson were in the same place at the same time, and I'm delighted to get the opportunity to bring it to you with such a great voice behind it. So, without further ado, over to Wilson. First they gave me the company. Then they gave me a microphone. (laughs) This is going to go so well. And it actually is. That's the beauty of it. I have found over the course of the last 9 to 11 months or so that the most important thing I have to learn in order to run a company successfully is to just shut up. And to listen to the people around us, because this is a company that has attracted some of the most extraordinary talents in genre fiction. And I'm not not exaggerating that in the slightest. Each one of these shows has an honor roll of writers and artists attached to it, people who have done extraordinary work, and we are extremely blessed to be joined by another one of them right now. I, I, don't worry, Anne, I swear I'm not going to ask you to read anything or say anything. I, I just wanted to say thank you so much for coming. Those of you who are not uh, here, um, Anne Lackey, multiple award winner, multiple Hugo Award winner, and extraordinary, or <laughs> just one, The weekend is Young. <laughs> I, I,
1: I'm
0: not sure my book is where the smart is this weekend. Okay. So, um, but... Anne Leckie, who's done tremendous work with PodCastle, is with us. I just wanted to say thank you so much for stopping in, and thank you so much for everything you've done. And we should applaud her again. I have the easiest job in the world. I really do. Because uh, my my job is to hold up a a superstructure, which enables other people to do brilliant things. And I, I have two wonderful side benefits as a result of that. Um, one is very personal, one is not even remotely personal. And the one that's not even remotely personal is I get to watch these people work. And the one that is intensely personal is I get to live out my teenage northern exposure fantasies. For those of you who, who weren't familiar with this, and, and I am vamping a little bit, but run with it. I'm kind of charming. Please. <coughs> um, my My technique... as as a host is stolen entirely wholesale from two entirely fictional human beings. Uh, One is, is Jack Killian, who was the lead in a very short-run mid-1990s TV show called Midnight Caller. I will see if I can get through the premise without giggling. I will fail. Uh, Jack was a SFPD cop who accidentally kills his partner in the line of duty, briefly becomes alcoholic, and is offered a midnight to 2 a.m. talk show where he solves problems. This was the point in in early 90s TV where people realized that social issues were a thing and you could build entire episodes around them. And I, this, this thing was particularly notable for the fact that every episode was rounded off by Jack doing this little two-minute pithy monologue. Hi! Don't think I've ever hit two minutes in my life, but I've always tried. <coughs> and the other one who I steal from, just blatantly, is Chris Stevens. Chris Stevens was a character on a, a much longer-running, infinitely odd, show called Northern Exposure which was about a doctor who had to serve out the remainder of his qualification tenure in a small town in Alaska. Chris was the local DJ, and he was passionately interested in everything. He read everything he could. He watched everything he could. He tried to use fiction and literature and culture of every form to try and understand the world around him. And he was positive and inclusive and gentle and nice, and he represented... I love you. Don't mention that. Um, And he represented everything that I desperately wanted to head towards. I fell out of adolescence kind of sideways and on fire for for reasons which we don't need to go into here. But Chris was one of those. I like to describe it as I had a constellation of entirely fictional older brothers. And Chris was the one that had the biggest impact on me. And when I stumbled onto Pseudopod, He was the one who I imitated the most, and the most enthusiastically, and (coughs) it's always, always a pleasure. I I never feel like I'm alone in front of that microphone. Um, It always feels a little bit like I have two entirely fictional canceled TV characters on either side of me, and Henry Rollins on the other side going, right on. (laughs) Anyway, um, I think that's probably enough time filled, as Wilson is indicating that uh, he's good to go. I now have the singular honor of holding the mic for Wilson, just as he has for us so far. So
2: so I, I, I understand that this is from the pseudopod slush. Is that correct? Okay. Titled Final Corrections by M. Bernardo. In several items yesterday, the visitor was variously described as having six legs, eight legs, or an unholy agglomeration of writhing, thrashing appendages unable to be counted. The correct number of legs is eight. In our cover story, it was reported that electronics in the city and some suburbs had been disabled by an electromagnetic pulse, or EMP. In fact, there was no such burst. Instead, the visitor itself appears to be continuously emanating the electromagnetic radiation. The extent of the downtown caldera was misstated. It is bounded roughly by the Boulevard of the Allies to the south and by Grant Street to the east, extending north through the former Cultural District as far as the Allegheny River. See detailed map on A3. We incorrectly reported that all bridges in the downtown and surrounding areas were impassable. In fact, at press time yesterday, both the Birmingham Bridge and Hot Metal Bridge across the Monongahela Bridge River were intact. Since then, we are informed that the visitor has pulverized both in the, irresistib- in the irresistible clutches of its 60-foot claws. Moreover, those claws should not have been described as adamantium. Adamantium is a fictional substance of impossible hardness and strength. Scientists we interviewed suggested adamantium as a proposed name for the so far impenetrable armor of the visitor, but those suggestions do not represent a scientific consensus. One of our correspondents repeatedly and erroneously referred to the downtown caldera as a yawning hellgate. In fact, it is not known whether the caldera is a gateway, and if so, whether it leads to hell. <laughs> in addition, the caldera is not surrounded by curtains of sulfurous fog, but rather by the steam of the boiling river. Finally, descriptions of omnipresent screams in the area should not have been attributed... Sorry... Finally, descriptions of omnipresent screams in the area should not have attributed those screams to the wailing souls of the dead and the damned. Surviving city officials inform us that we misquoted the mayor as saying, it's the end times, it's the end times, oh God, it's judgment day. No alternate quotation was provided, and the mayor himself could no longer be reached for comment. We erroneously speculated on the line of suspe- succession through which emergency mayoral, mayoral powers might pass in a crisis. Events have since proved that the city clerk and deputy city clerk are not in the line of succession, as they are not elected officials. The photograph of the visitor curled up on the so called nest it constructed of human skeletons was taken in Highland Park, not Frick Park, as the caption stated. In addition, the photo was cropped against Times-Dispatch guidelines by an editor attempting to obscure viscera in the foreground. The uncropped photo is reproduced on A6. Warning, viewing this photo may cause madness in the weak-minded. The estimate for the number of eggs in the visitor's nest should have read 10,000, not 1,000. Moreover, the incubation period for the eggs can now be confidently stated as approximately 16 hours. Finally, Although it hardly seems to matter anymore, we misspelled the name of Miriam Bethel, a member of the school board of directors, in our article about the failed levies. Her last name has only one L. Like all mankind today, we deeply regret our errors.
0: <laughs> Accuracy in journalism, ladies and gentlemen. Even if it's the last thing you do. So, We've had a couple of stories. We had some questions. Have any more questions appeared since the stories were spoken? Or not? If not, that's fine.
2: You intimated that, you had, that there was a story behind uh, you buying Escape Artists. Uh, is, is, is there such a story, or can, can you share it?
0: Yes, yes I can. Um, I, I had a conversation with our accountant. Uh, towards the end of 2013 when we were living in this extremely odd partially underground Victorian house. Seriously, you went in to what was essentially a small hobbit flat and climbed progressively steeper flights of stairs until the stairs to Marguerite's office were a carpeted ladder. (coughs) And the conversation with Paul went a little something like this. Paul, I've done some very basic math and I think we have no money in six weeks. And there was a long awkward pause at the end of the line and he went Oh, yeah. Yeah, I think that's accurate. Paul is, is a Chicagoan native, and he's, he's not a man who's, who's prone to hyperbole, and I'm, I'm British. I, I, I actually, had it surgi- actually had it surgically removed at birth. <clears throat> so this was information that was quite difficult to pass, and it ultimately turned into something of a cold glass of water to the face. Because, like I say, this is a company I've worked for longer than anyone else ever, and suddenly we were going away in six weeks. So I got quite assertive, which takes steam and a tremendous amount of tea and you know, redrafting emails so they don't have, I'm really sorry to bother you on the front of them. And emailed around the various editorial teams and said, We have a problem. We sort of need money, and we sort of don't have any really soon. So let's figure something out. And what we were able to do was bodge together a metacast. Now this thing has entered in certain annals of genre fiction. Something of of a legendary reputation. Because if this thing was a kaiju, it would have destroyed Tokyo. (laughs) (coughs) The average length of an EA Metacast is about 10 minutes. And it's me at the front going, Hi, I'm Alistair, and the editorial team's going, Hi, it's us, we're doing things. And then me at the end going, Please give us some money. This thing was 45 minutes long. There was a story in the middle of it. I, I think if we'd had more time, there would have been a production number. And, yes. And we took some deserved flack from a couple of quarters for this, because... The actual message is really simple. It's, we rely on your donations and we're about to run out. Please help. And to spend 45 minutes doing that spoke, I think, to the level of panic we all had, that the company was on the verge of going away. And our listeners, who are the silent part of the team, because make no mistake, everyone involved in Escape Artists at every level is a member of the team, did extraordinary things. They... Saved us. There's really no other way to describe it. We were given in the space of six months cash donations that have secured us for two and a half years and counting. And that remains one of the most powerful experiences of, of my adult life. I mean, this is a very weird thing that we all do. And you know, fictional big brothers and Henry Rollins going rock on, man. In, in my booth the side, we all go in there alone, and it's very easy to think that you're just talking into a microphone with no one on the other side, and there are always people there, and your work always matters, and that proved to us that it did. And that was a rough six months. I mean, I, was, I, I like to describe it as I was basically up to my elbows in the gore of the company, screaming, damn it, don't you die on me, for six months, doing you know compressions and my best Alan Alder impersonation, which even with a full voice is awful, but I persevere. <coughs> but it was in many ways the most positive thing that could happen because it cohered everybody on, on the teams. Because we looked the end of the company in the face, and we came through it, and, and everyone realized how incredibly proud they were of what we achieved and what we could do, and that they weren't done. And that's the most important thing. Every single one of our staff members came back from that and said, no, we're not done, we've got stuff to do. And all of them, and I mean, the, the podcast team in particular, worked miracles just consistently across that period of time. They did astounding work. And everybody really put their shoulders to the wheel and turned us around. And once we had begun to get turned around, I had another conversation with Paul. (coughs) Pardon me. The lovely thing about having a throat that sounds this awful is that it often comes on at moments which aren't a little bit dramatic, but make (laughs) it sound so. It's great. Um, I had another conversation with Paul, and basically uh, I realized that at this point I was essentially the publisher. He ceded that responsibility to me. And that it was time we started moving the company from the very odd financial position it was in to something a little bit more secure. And with Margaret's help, we began doing that. I had a business partner at that point, and we worked very hard for a very long time on that. And we secured the company, and we bought it. And it went very, very well. And then what became apparent, as very often does, is...
1: Steve's full blessing and permission. I mean, you had so many conversations with Steve about, you know,
0: <laughs> no, we want to hear it. Everybody
1: it, wants to hear it. It, was, it. was his baby, and he wanted to make sure it was going to go into good hands, and the only hands he was willing to give it to were yours.
0: That's true. By the way, genetic modesty. Seriously, the British thing. I just kind of edited that out. Yeah, Steve sold it to me on the condition it was me, because i he knew I'd been there a very long time. And we started putting various new plans in place, Like I say, uh, I had a business partner at that point, and what became apparent after about six months was he had wildly divergent ideas for the company than I did. And more importantly, we had wildly divergent communication styles. I am psychopathically nice. I am my mother's son in every important way. My mother is is a lady who has used the phrase, I will pray for you, the same way that gangster rappers hurl profanity. (laughs) and it, I'm very bad at confrontation, and what was happening with my business partner was we were heading towards the point where confrontation of some form was an inevitability, and this was communicated to me, and I had to look it in the eyes, and we sat down, and we had a conversation, and we realized we had two choices. You could keep going down this road, and things would get very bad very fast, or we could shake hands and part as friends and he would walk away happy, and I would walk away happy, and the company would be what I wanted it to be and what we needed it to be. And that's what we did. And that's where we are now. And the, the six to eight months of, of back-end admin that happened as a direct result of that are just one of the hundreds of thousands of reasons I'm going to spend the rest of my life with this woman. Because <laughs> <coughs> I am... I struggle a lot with this position because of two things. I have no confidence in my own abilities an awful lot of the time. I'm like, Hi, I'm a writer. <laughs> um, and also because I, I'm sometimes terrified that I don't do anything. That I just show up and go, Hi, we're doing a thing. You people, go. You know, there, there's. There there is an old, wonderful BBC thriller called State of Play, which is set in a newspaper office. And Bill Nye is the editor. And someone comes to him with a concern, and he does that wonderful, kind of pinched, horrified face Bill Nye does. And he just says, Go. Write something beautiful. And just turns and leaves. And I've sometimes worried that I'm him. And Marguerite regularly reassures me that that's not the case. The truth is that I... The best people on the planet work for me. And my job is to get out of their way. And the last six to eight months have been realizing how much of their way the company, as it had been laid out, was in. And helping shovel it so that now stuff can get done. And now it can. Lots of stuff. stuff. Mothership Zeta, Cast of Wonders coming aboard. You know... Yes. Also, while we can't quite tell you who the art- artist is yet, they have been a Hugo finalist. I believe they've won, but I don't want to double-check.
2: Can you repeat what Marguerite said? I don't think yes, of
0: course. Uh, we have three Parsec Award nominations this year across three different... Ca- finalists, wow. pardon me. I'm going to hand this over. LAUGHTER
1: we have four parsec finalists in three different categories. Well, I'm not counting Cast of Wonders, who's also one. Okay, fine, you hold it. I breathe. Fine. Artemis Rising 2 is gonna repeat next year. The submission window is September. It will run across all three shows in air in February next year. There is a an original piece of art being commissioned for a print that will be offered for sale. And we're not quite ready to announce that yet, but it will be shortly. The other thing is I I never did – I finally put together a a spreadsheet of, you know, I'm the kind of person who wants to know when people's birthdays are. EA is 55 people. Oh, yeah. You don't think about that. But between the community manager – and I'm not talking authors and narrators. I'm talking slush readers, community managers, you know, assistant editors. It's over 50 people. And it's moving forward with new projects, and it's expanding – you you riffed really hard for a year to keep everything from going under and and now the fleet is all in one direction and it's expanding and that's incredible. So Everybody for Tim. Yay!
0: I'm the luckiest man in the world. And I mean that unironically. I have this ludicrous patchwork um, career. I'm, I'm doing this thing on my blog at the moment where I've mapped all the things I do. And it, it's, I've designed it like the London Underground. And there are seven separate lines. I do seven separate things at once. And somehow, It works. And the most important one of those lines, the one where I'm at home, is is podcasting. I never expected that, because you never bloody do. You you never walk towards a job and go, you know what, I'm going to be at home there for the rest of my natural life. Get comfy. But... I look at the friends I've made in this industry and I look at the people who I've learned from and make no mistake, the beautiful thing about podcasting as an idea and as an ideal is it is a community and it's one which is educational in every single direction. You always learn, you always improve, you always get better. And I'm in a position where I can help my friends do that as well. And it astonishes me. I mean, we're both, Marguerite and I are both climbers. (coughs) And we both went through, when we first met, a fairly extensive life reboot. And we used to use climbing as the metaphor for it. And on the bad days, and there were bad days, we would talk about how we looked down. And you do that, and you freak out for ten minutes, and then you get back on the wall and you climb a little bit higher. And... These days, it's not, certainly with, with EA, it's not that we look down, it's that we look up and we look across, and you look at what the incredible view is. This is a company that has done extraordinary things and I think is an incredible potential force for good in an industry that far too often turns, itself, turns in on itself and complains about what isn't there and doesn't recognize the beauty of what is and what can be done. And once a week, across three different shows, we give a voice to a legion of incredibly talented narrators and a legion of extraordinary authors and these just rogue-cop hosts who somehow turn in the most incredible insights on stuff and give me a chance to play out my Chris Stevens fantasy and I can buy coffee whenever I want. Wow! So, I mean, really, in in a slightly Hugh Grant-esque way, I I think that that really brings me back to the the thing which I wanted to communicate to all of you and to everybody who's listening. And I would also like to apologize to everybody who's listening because I realize I sound like I'm being dragged backwards through a Brillo pad. (coughs) Thank you. This is an incredibly complex, weird, eccentric machine that it was always shifting and always changing, and it has millions of moving parts, and every single one of them is brilliant, and every single one of them is essential. So, thank you. Thank you.
2: One last question, Alistair. Uh, now that we've had episodes 501 and 502 of Escape Pod, <laughs> do we know when we can expect episode 500?
0: Time travel. <laughs> Oddly enough, this has come up. Um, and yes, uh, essentially, the, the, the line we are taking, if anyone asks, as you just have, uh, is that a mild temporal disturbance has delayed episode 500. Uh, it, is, it has been recorded, I now know. Uh, we have a, a very good narrator on it, and it's a very, very good story, and it will be dropping very soon. But yeah, it is on the way. <laughs> I can't confirm or deny that at this time.
1: Are you guys familiar <coughs> with the Cthulhu tiki mugs done by Joe Sharman? He's approached us to do a tenth anniversary pseudopod mug. And we're thinking about whether or not it's gonna be possible. And people are saying hello. Good. So
0: Yeah, the the whole tenth anniversary thing is, is deeply bizarre. And is also I I made a joke with myself a couple of years ago, back when it looked like things were a little ropey, um, which was, if we made it to episode 10, I was going to get a new tattoo. Episode 10 years, pardon me. Uh, I was going to get a new tattoo. It's looking quite good. So, um, the current plan is uh, we have a beautiful piece of artwork that was the front of my book of essays from Pseudopod, which is an old-fashioned radio microphone with a tentacle wrapped around it, and I'm going, when we get to to our our 10th anniversary, that's going to be my tattoo, and every extra year past that, there's going to be another sucker added to the tentacle, which I'm really pleased about. There's always another sucker to be added to this sucker, Wilson. (coughs) So, I think that's about all we have, which is really very impressive, because that's a hell of a lot. Again, I would just like to say thank you. I, I, I feel to be tremendously nerdy like a, a kid in, in the Justice League satellite. I'm surrounded by incredible authors and narrators and writers and staff and people who make wonderful things. And I get to help you all make wonderful things. And I know I say this every single week, but in this instance, that really is true. So thank you again, and good night. The funny thing about doing this is we work, if not in a vacuum, then certainly alone. I talk into a microphone. That recording is fired across the world to Australia where the astonishing Graham does miracles to it and then it's connected to the narration from somewhere else on the planet again and put up for you to listen to. Lots of people on both sides of the mic. None of them ever in the same place. It can get lonely. That's why the Q&A at Sasquan was such a revelation. Even without us being on official programming, and the whole thing being something between a pop-up event and a scrappy insurgency, we got an incredible turnout. We met the amazing Mer Lafferty and her stunningly talented Mothership Zeta team in the form of Karen Bovenmeyer and Sunil Patel. We met Anne Leckie, MK Hobson, Dave Robertson, JT Evans, the incredible Setsu Izumi, Matt Wallace, Nikki Glowen. We met so many people, all of them from countless different places. All of them involved in the show as listeners, fans, staff, writers, and most of all, friends. I struggle a lot with catharsis, or the frequently perceived lack thereof. It's very easy doing what we do to be invisible. You talk into a mic, you send off a file, you wait, and a lot of the time, that's it. There's always something more to do, but there's almost never a sense of what you're doing having traction of it hitting home it did it does and at Worldcon I saw that for myself so thank you for listening for being there and for giving us all a chance to do what we love if you want to keep giving us that chance please consider either donating or subscribing donations are any amount you want while subscriptions start from as little as two bucks a month and help so much Please go to any of the sites and donate if you can. And do join me back here for part three, where we'll take another couple of questions, my throat will turn even more Krogan, and most importantly, you'll hear the premiere of one of my favourite stories of the year, The Last Unenlightened Man by MK Hobson. See you then.